BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. You're listening to Over the Influence. I'm your host, Ariel Laurie. I'll be talking to movers and shakers in the world of wellness and beyond, and people who have had their own interesting journey, whether it be physical, mental, spiritual, or professional. Thanks for joining. Let's get into it. All right. I hope everybody is having a good week so far. So I'm going to do something a little bit different this week and next. I'm actually breaking up my interview with Alexis Haynes into two parts. And I'm doing that mainly because it was a long interview. It was over an hour. And we just covered so much ground that I really want you guys to hear it. And I I know that like people can kind of tune out after a certain amount of time. So I thought I would just try something different, break it up, give you guys a week to to recharge after you hear the first part. And yeah, let me know if this is something you like or if you'd rather just have it all in one. Be nice. Um, yeah, so I just love the fact that Alexis and I are now friends. I like really, there are just some people that you totally vibe with and she is definitely one of them, which is funny because when she had her reality show, Pretty Wild, I was in my own addiction. And so I was happy to like judge other people and how they were living their lives and point at them and and anything to deflect from my own life, which was a hot mess a lot of the time. So when she had the show, I was like, okay, well, that's like pretty bad. And I don't know like how obvious it was that she and her sister were high on the show. I don't know if I just was able to recognize it because I was an addict. Like if I were to watch it again, what I would think, I don't know. I'm kind of curious, but I definitely recognized a lot of myself and her, even though we have very different backgrounds. And so it's just crazy to me that 10 years later, she is sober. I'm sober. We both are like on this mission to share our stories and share hope. And it's just crazy. It's crazy how the universe works and how people are brought together and how profoundly people can change in recovery, um, however they choose to do that. So we get into a lot of her backstory, and the second part is going to be more about recovery and her life today. But it's really interesting. She's so much fun to talk to and to listen to, so 
without further ado, Alexis Haynes. All right. Welcome, Alexis. Thank you so much for coming today. Thank you for having me. Guys, she's such a trooper. She came here, like, probably drove, like, two or three hours to get here <laughs> with a sling on her arm. So, yeah, I really appreciate it. I'm just happy to be here. I just adore you. Aw. So. Ditto. Ditto. It's so cool how um, Instagram and social media and the universe and everything just brings people together. Yeah, I mean, it can be really divisive or it can connect you with really awesome people. And so I'm really grateful for the the cool people that I have met that that I've connected with and, and stayed close with over the years. It's good. And can we just talk about your bio for a second? Okay. <laughs> Did you just change it? I just saw it. It says, what is it? Used to shoot dope? I used to shoot up heroin. Now it's just vitamins and Botox. I mean... <laughs> That's a girl after my own heart. <laughs> it's like that's that's my soulmate right I there. I went on the Dopey podcast like a week ago, and I had said it on the podcast, and then I was like, "That's really fucking good." Yeah. I think I'm gonna stick with it. That's that's like I'm a writing tagline. a book right now. It's gonna come out in September for Recovery Month, and I think it's gonna be recovering from reality. My journey from shooting dope to shooting up, you know, vitamins or whatever. It's gonna be something <laughs> along those lines. It's pretty great. Yeah, I love that. And I love that you're so vocal about like, I mean, we've talked about this, like Botox and beauty stuff. It's like people kind of have this assumption that like you can't do everything. You can't be about one thing and then do this other thing, yeah. right? Well, I just think that you can do everything. Yeah. Like you, you know, I, th I think that there's a balance. There's certain things that I personally wouldn't do. Like I would never get implants. Mm -hmm. That's my personal choice. Like I weigh out the risks and benefits for everything. And then I make the decision based on like what my comfort level is and, and that's it. And then for the most part, like I do eat a really clean diet. Um, and then probably usually after I'm at a birth, I'm also a birth doula. After a birth, <laughs> it's like midnight and I'm starving and I'll go to Taco Bell and I have no fucking shame about it. So it's just like balance. Yeah. Everything in life is balance. Yeah. it's That word is so overused now, but it's so true. I mean, it, that's what it comes down to. Yeah. In all areas of life, whether it's like diet, professionally, relationship-wise, it's all yeah. balance. So, okay. So I want to go back to kind of the start, like pre-TV show days. Mm -hmm. So what was your life like? You grew up in LA, right? Yeah. So I, I grew up with a mom who was an ex-model and a dad who was a director of photography. He did Friends for eight years, um, The Nanny, all these big sitcoms back in the 90s, early 2000s. And so I grew up right outside of LA and, um, you know, just chaos it was just chaos like my parents divorced when I was three there was um a lot of early childhood sexual abuse that began around the age of four or five years old um at the hands of a family member I kept that secret until uh, basically into sobriety pretty much um which happened when I was 19 so it just it was just pure chaos like lots of physical abuse sexual abuse violence alcoholism um, just, I was just a kid that was constantly like dysregulated. Like there was just, I was never in a state of, um, like serenity. Like there just, it was just always super high highs or super low lows and just really chaotic. And then, 
Um, by the time I was 15, I was starting to use hard drugs. And then by the time I was 19, like I got sober. So it was pretty fast. By the time I was 19, I was a twice convicted felon. And um, my entire life had fallen into like just, just, it was just pieces all over the place and a total mess. So, um, you know, my reality show, Pretty Wild, you guys got to see the tail end of the chaos mm -hmm. of me barely hanging on. And that was kind of, you know, everything was already on fire and there was no putting out the flames, you know, and everything mm -hmm. was falling apart. Um, and so that was kind of, yeah, that was like the end of my demise. <laughs> How did that show come to be? I think I read about it somewhere, but they yes. approached you guys, right? Yeah, so my sister Tess and I um, were doing what a lot of young drug addict females in L.A. do. We were working music videos and um, background and um, like modeling. I put that in quotes because... <laughs> It's not really modeling. We're not tall enough to be modeled. <laughs> Although these days, like I look at like the Bella Hadids. I saw yeah. Bella at Coachella last year and I was in the bathroom next to her and I was like, you're not even that fucking tall. Like you're just really skinny. Like I could have done that when I was 110 <laughs> pounds. Like nowadays, like models don't have to be six foot. Yeah, it's um, true. But back Especially then, with Instagram and. Yeah. But, you know now things have changed um had only you know i i joke about this all the time because i feel like my message is so important and um like i'm constantly battling like instagram like i ha don't have that many followers you guys um but i say like had pretty wild been like now like oh my god i would have had like five million followers on instagram right now and i would have been just and i would have never gotten sober because yeah. I would have just, I mean, like, Jordan Woods is making a comeback. Like, everybody can just make a comeback now where, like, for me, there was no, there's no comeback, which is fine um, because I probably would have also been dead. But, you know, so we were just working um, and living that, like, club or lifestyle. Like, just we knew um, a lot of really wealthy people and we were partying a lot and then yeah we were approached when we were working on this um like college film at ucla by this guy dan um levy who's actually coming on my podcast uh in a couple weeks so dan was working in the on this movie as well and he's like you guys are great would you ever want to shoot a sizzle reel and we had no idea what that meant um this was kind of like the beginning of or like the peak of reality tv right mm -hmm. like this is when everything was kind of blowing up did he know so, that you guys were on, on drugs? drugs no okay. no we were still we were really able to hide it until a couple weeks into the show, when those like $10,000 checks started rolling in, and then the drug addiction just went like through the roof, you know, because we would, we were smoking oxys and taking Xanax and drinking and smoking weed, but at like a lower level because, you know, couldn't afford it. Mm -hmm. Oxys were like 45 bucks a pill that's crazy yeah they're probably more now probably right? yeah and it's just nuts so we um we weren't able to use at the rate that we were until we started getting those you know big ten thousand dollar a week checks and then we had a ten thousand dollar a week habit so it we just there was nothing to show for the um all of the hard work, those mm -hmm. 5 a.m. call times. <laughs> um, right before, so 
what happened was the show got picked up. It was supposed to be kind of about, we were like the hippie versions of the Kardashians. Like my mom believed in the secret. Speaking of which, we're right across the street from Agape, which really? I love. Have you I've ever never been, to been there. Oh, I know my, about it though. It's literally right there. Like really? walk across the I've street. I've heard great things. Amazing. Um, so I grew up practicing Buddhism my whole life. My mom is like very, has been about um, manifestation, which started off with um the science of mind and she's been practicing this since she was like 12 so she's the real deal um aside from being just like up until recently a really imbalanced person so it like wasn't really a healthy thing but now it is so that's good for her but now she's counseling right yeah she's doing really well like when i got to when i was about two years sober she really got her shit together and like just realized like wow i'm a mess Mm -hmm. like you know um and that's what i refer to as like spiritual bypass like when you're like um just pretending you're super spiritual and you like know all of these words and all these things but i mean i mean look at the catholic church like all these popes preaching and you know, then they're like molesting and raping little boys. It's like there's always sick people who mm-hmm. are claiming to be super spiritual. Not that my mom was a rapist. She certainly wasn't. That's a really bad analogy. But, <laughs> but it's you like get a facade saying, that you can hide right? behind. Yes, it is. And um, so the show got picked up. Um, and then to uh, second second day of filming, first night, we recorded with Mickey Avalon, and I was or was not out shooting heroin with them. <laughs> I forgot about him my, until right yes. now. He's great. That. Are you kidding? Like an LA icon. <laughs> yeah. Shout out to Mickey Avalon. I hope you're Is doing he sober well. now? Is he alive? I, don't I have know. no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I hope he is. Um, because, yeah, like, God, what an icon. The, his music really got me through high school. Um, so, so rich, so pretty. So rich, so pretty. <laughs> um, you know, and and that quote that I said, sliding down from heaven on a stripper pole, that is, like, meant for me. <laughs> oh, my God. And my 17-year-old daughter, I think I was 17 when I started recording the show, or 18-year-old, I would smack the fucking <laughs> shit out of her. Yeah, what did your mom think? I mean, did she, she know that you guys were using? Um, or was she just kind of in her own? She world? knew about the pot. She knew about the drinking. She probably knew that we did like a little cocaine on the weekends, but I don't think she really knew. Like I said, we were very good. Mm-hmm. Um, we lived dual lives, and even when we were recording the show, it was a completely like dual, um, dual existence because we were living what people thought were these like really glamorous lives, but we were actually living in a best western driving my like little shitty acura um and like i said we had nothing so you know it just it was this um it was all a facade you know that house wasn't really our house like really yeah wasn't really our wasn't really our house yeah um sorry to tell you all you reality tv fans (laughs) it's not reality tv is an actual reality um and so the second day of filming so we're out all night with mickey avalon i come home at like three in the morning take a xanax crawl into bed and like a couple hours later the cops are at my house shit to arrest me so the show took like a really dark turn and they had no idea that that was going to happen i had no idea that was going to happen so to get into like the bling ring thing, um, 
So Nick and Rachel Lee were these kids from Calabasas. If do you listen to Not Another True Crime podcast by Betches? No. So good. So they just oh so good. They just did a bling ring episode and it is um hands down like the most it is it was the closest thing that I've actually ever heard or read that really depicted like what the bling ring was and the details of the events in the case. And stuff like that. If you don't listen to that podcast, listen to that. Or at least listen to that episode if you're I'm at all fascinated with the bling ring. You should know this. Because they actually like, go and get case documents and all this stuff. It's really cool. Hmm. So anyway, so Nick and Rachel were these kids from Calabasas that had been robbing celebrities for a long time. And my sister Tess knew Nick. And um, I... Uh, so Nick became kind of part of our party scene. He was this really fun... Um, he was like my gay best friend. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. A best friend that I had become best friends with in like two weeks time because I only knew him for like a couple of months. <laughs> um, so like he started tagging along with us and like we didn't know that he was like robbing houses at this point. Um, and so then we, we had signed this contract with E in June. And then, um... Like I said, my drug habit started going up. My mom actually kicked Tess and I out of the house, and I went to go stay with Nick. And I'd only known him. So this was at his parents' house. I'd only known him for like three or four months. Anyways, we're out partying one night at Beso. I'm like in my like blackout, you know, like mm-hmm. I'd been drinking, taking some Xanax or whatever. Um, and he's like, we got to go. Drives to this house. Um, Didn't know at the time that it was Orlando Bloom's house, but it was Orlando Bloom's house. So I guess... Rachel had called him and was like, hey, you know, come here. And that's kind of how it was. Called who? Nick. Okay. So Nick, so this is kind of how it was. Like Rachel would like, not stockings, not the right word, but like watch these houses and Mm -hmm. stuff. And then she would be like, Nick, we're good to go. Like, you know, like I've got it figured out. And this was before like the Twitter and Instagram days. So like she was like, a, she needs to like join the FBI and become a detective <laughs> because fuck, she, she was, was good. It was like a stakeout. She was good. Yeah, it was a stakeout. <laughs> yes. So she called Nick. So we go there that night. Um, the robbery takes place and Nick and I stopped talking because I was kind of like, what the fuck? Like, this is way like I'm gnarly. Like, I'll check cars, right? For like cash and like presents and like shit like that. Like drug funding, you know, like fund my drug habit. Like, I was certainly no Mother Teresa. Like, I, you know, I was, I would panhandle. I was like even considering stripping at one point. Like, I was not a good person. But, like, actually, like, robbing houses, like, not for me. You know what I mean? Like, I would take yet. shit from, like, Sephora. You know what I mean? Like, but who hasn't? And, and and you know, and actually they make a joke about that on, like, Not Another True Crime Podcast. They're like, but who hasn't? Like, I would do dumb stuff, like, as a young kid and, um, you know, steal from my parents and shit like that. But, like, I'm not, um, like, a mastermind. But I became the face of the bling ring because... Well, I believe it's not very sexy for just some young kids from Calabasas robbing celebrities. I mean, that story is like great, but it only gets you like, you know, mm-hmm. like a couple months in the news, maybe. Yeah. Maybe, you had the show. So they had a face for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when they came to my house and arrested me, I'd actually called the cops a few times. I'd called the cops a few times. There, there had been surveillance videos. Stop talking to Nick. He kept robbing houses. There's surveillance uh, video from... Uh, Lindsay Lohan's house and I think Audrina Patridge's where they're like looking into the fucking camera and I was like oh my god 
that's Nick. <laughs> so I called the cops and I was like, hey, just an FYI, like, here's a tip. <laughs> like, this is Nick. This, cause I'm like, this is bad. Like, you can't be stealing like millions of dollars of shit. Like, yeah. this is like a bad, you know what I mean? Like, I have like a little bit of a conscience here. Um, and so when the cops showed up at my house, I was like on that Xanax that I had taken a couple of hours earlier. And it didn't like register like this is a SWAT team, not like some detectives like calling me in to like ask me questions about like what I know. Like oh this God. is like a fucking SWAT team at my house right now. <laughs> and so um, it didn't really make sense. So I'm like chirping like a little bird over there, like telling them like, yeah, I was at this house one night and no lawyer, uh, no lawyer. Um, you know, I had, I asked for a lawyer, but it wasn't until I was already at the station and they've been interrogating me. I don't remember that interrogation at all because, like I said, I was, like, totally loaded. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, the Xanax probably, oh, like, dulled this, it a little bit. So you were yes, just... Yes, yes, yes. And at one point, you know, and um, have you ever seen, like, Making a Murder? That A couple that, episodes. Okay, so yeah. it's very similar to, like, that Making a Murder. Like, we know you were there, like whose name was it like you you said the name of the person earlier you know blah 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 but like they've said the name to me like they've been were fucking with me and i was just like whoa like what is going on right now so thankfully like my attorney showed up or whatever ended up taking a plea deal so fought the whole case on national television as a heroin addict at 18 years old it's kind of it was just a shit show which was great but also not great (laughs) Did you did you at any point think the heroin was a problem? I mean, did did it ever cross your mind that like uh. <laughs> something to stop or were you just not? No. There? So um, I think so. I know for certain the reason why I used downers, why I used heroin was because I had such bad trauma. Mm-hmm. Like I'm talking like forced to perform oral sex at like five years old, like just the mm-hmm. most heinous, disgusting just just like needed to shut it all off like just every single like bit of it needed to go away and so um no one was going to touch me or my heroin Mm -hmm. you know what I mean like that was the only thing that provided me with like comfort and like kept me from killing myself can I ask you said you started using around 15 but what did what were your coping skills before that before you found drugs to deal with all of that yeah um sugar and carbs Mm -hmm. um and then i remember sneaking warm beers out of my friend's parents garages and Mm -hmm. just you know whatever i could get my hands on yeah just change how you're change your Mm -hmm. state of being yeah yeah so just whatever i could to escape okay so you ended up going to jail yeah right took a plea deal it's not a good idea to go to trial when you're on heroin like just a really really bad really bad idea um at that point did people know or were you, was it still so yeah so someone my drug dealer actually um took photos of me like smoking heroin and um posted them online like sold them to nick ritchie and the dirty do you remember the mm-hmm. dirty yeah is he still around he he sold the dirty and we're actually oh. friends really like, I actually... <laughs> well he kind <laughs> of like he had a family I actually right? really like him now like <laughs> for the most part it's such a trip it's like how do you like he hated me like and i really hated him because he would call me out on all my shit 
um, but that publicly. Was his job, right? no, yeah, and I mean, it's a disgusting job. Like, it's a pretty dirty. Like, I would, I wouldn't want that job. Like, I probably couldn't sleep at night. But yeah, that was like the time of Perez Hilton too, yeah, right? So. Yeah, so like a lot of stuff. So the pictures went around, and um, you know, I actually think it no, it was both of us smoking. Uh, you know, I didn't really like. You know, we make excuses, right? Like, mm-hmm. no, that's just weed, or you know, whatever. But it's like clearly a tutor and foil. Like, <laughs> I, don't, <laughs> I don't know, I don't know. Like, whatever it took, man, to like keep getting loaded. But um, the cops. It was a combination of things. Like, the cops were playing dirty. My attorney was not the best attorney, and I was advised to take a plea deal, and I was on heroin, and I took it. And I'll say this over and over and over again like going to jail was the best thing that ever happened to me it saved my life going to jail twice was the best thing that mm-hmm. ever happened to me it saved my life in jail so you would ask like did you ever think heroin was a problem in jail when i like went through the detox and naturally like sobered up um because i went and i was in solitary confinement at linwood for um that summer so i detoxed and after the detox i kind of was like whoa like okay heroin is probably a problem for me and i should just stick to like weed and drinking (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah i did that quite a few times Mm -hmm. it's like i would pick whichever thing i wanted to be the problem and then so that i could still have something right yeah no i i definitely even into early sobriety i remember thinking things like i'm not gonna have a glass of champagne at my wedding like how like how am i gonna survive (laughs) you know what i Mm -hmm. mean that was like my only coping skills. And so thank God I got coping skills like pretty early on in recovery. So, you know, so I got out, kept getting loaded, got arrested again, possession of heroin, was facing up to six years in prison. And the judge, um, think merc- mercifully sent sentenced me to treatment. And um, that's the best thing that ever happened to me. So jail was your rock bottom, you would say? Uh, I'd say my rock bottom actually happened like in in rehab. I had an emotional bottom um, that, you know, like where I kind of realized like I'm the maker of all of my own messes. Mm-hmm. And um, it's hard when you have really to look hard. at your own shit mm-hmm. and realize that yeah. you're the common denominator. Yeah. Up until then, like the ego is still really big and powerful. And I wasn't really willing to accept personal responsibility you know Mm -hmm. because it was always like it was my rapist's fault and it was my child sexual abuse and it was my dad and it was this and it was that and and it takes a lot to get to the clarity and understanding of like hey yeah like that all happened and that's really horrible but you're the only one that can fix this and Mm -hmm. you have to take responsibility so i think that the yeah i mean going to jail obviously sucks like no one wants to detox from heroin in jail it's gnarly and disgusting um but actually like mentally having to crawl yourself out of addiction is is just brutal yeah and it's hard when you do have those legitimate traumas and things that were done to you i mean like we're taught when we get sober that to look for our part in everything right but Mm -hmm. um there are certain things that like happen to us and what's your part you know it's like your your part often is still holding on to it and letting it affect your life yeah 
And the ways that we then go out and abuse ourselves and other people mm -hmm. after, you know, that's where that like personal responsibility aspect comes into play. And that was hard for me to like really wrap my head around. It took me quite a while to, to, um, to take that personal responsibility. Well, and 19 years old is such a young age to like have lived that much. That's like a lifetime, right? And oh then God, at yeah. 19, like when you're still like you're developing still into yourself, I yeah, and to have to like take responsibility for all that, it's just kind of unfathomable. I mean, I really admire you for doing that. Like 19, I was just getting started. I got my first DUI at 19 and went to treatment, but I was like, I'm not stopping. Yeah. <laughs> like, no way. Yeah. I think that um, for me, like the, the dope took me down and it took me down hard. And then um, thankfully, I think because I have, um, even though my mom was like in my household was chaotic, like I did have spiritual, like the spiritual aspect of recovery um, was not difficult for me to wrap my head around because I had grown up in an environment where that was really um, instilled in me that, you know, that we are all a part of source, you know what I mean? And it exists everywhere and in everybody and that um, you can tap into that goodness and into that love whenever you want. And um, I just, I just didn't know how to do it before sobriety mm -hmm. and so when thankfully I had um a sponsor who she was 20 or so rough heroin and she was this amazing she um was this amazing like I would consider her like a hippie who lived in Topanga and she was a wardrobe stylist for commercials and she so she was she had really young energy she was like kind of like a mama to me but she had like really young energy and she was very connected and grounding and just had so much knowledge and she was just perfect for me like she was just exactly like what and who I needed in my life mm -hmm. so so would you say the hardest part of early sobriety for you was looking at looking at your responsibility and things I mean for people who are like newly sober listening to this mm. what what were the things that you struggled with the most and how did you get through it the hardest thing that I dealt with was staying put, mm. you know, like, um, as drug addicts, we're like constant, constantly on the run, mm -hmm. you know, like we're just like, go, 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 go. And like next thing and next fix. And like, how can I stay distracted and getting grounded and, um, sitting in my discomfort and sitting in my shit really was uncomfortable. And I remember my sponsor, like I'd freak out about the smallest things and she'd be like, I'd call her in, in a meltdown and she would say, sit where you're at for five minutes and then call me back and then hang up on me. And <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and I'm like, what? Like, <laughs> wait, what? Like, I just like, you know, like listen to my sob story and like help me out of this. Yeah. And um, I'd call her back. She'd be like, see, you're okay. Like, <laughs> you know, you're, not gonna, you're not gonna die um, but just like learning learning how to be okay with being uncomfortable um, I've had so many uncomfortable situations in, in sobriety they always lead to growth you know when we're in the in the dirt of it and we're in the in the soil and we just feel like we're forever climbing ourselves out of this hole 
Um, it's taken me a long time to realize that a, you know, you don't have to work so hard that like everything that you need is already here, mm-hmm. you know, like you just, and it's amazing because my spiritual practice now is so big. Like when I say that, like I can actually feel on the top of my head, like light and energy, like moving down through my body and like grounding me into this earth and just feeling like really so deeply connected to the divine. We've talked about this. Mm-hmm. I'm not really religious. I'm spiritual. Like just, I love Jesus. Like Jesus is the man. Like he, <laughs> he would say, you know, like he was, um, like he was like a spiritual law, like rule breaker. Like he like set the tone for like the revolution for like the, you know, taking care of people and caring about people and equality and love and justice and all of these things that we, that I want to live my life by. And, you know, and then I also practice Buddhism and, and all of these, you know, very, you know, alternative thought and stuff like that. But, you know, all I'm saying is um, when you're in early recovery, you don't have to worry about all of that. Just trust that, like, you have what you need right now, mm-hmm. you know, and that um, that even if you feel like you're not going to be okay, like, you will be okay. I mean, I'm just kind of coming out of, like, probably the worst depression I've ever had in my life unmedicated it's Mm -hmm. fucking brutal (laughs) like it's absolutely brutal i um i don't respond to antidepressants um or i have like extreme adverse reactions to them so i've gone this last eight years of my sobriety (laughs) drug free and it's fucking crazy (laughs) how long has that been going on um on and off. So it comes, my depression comes in waves. I think I've always been depressed. Our brains develop differently, right? When we are um, under immense amounts of trauma, especially as children, they're wired differently than someone who doesn't go through that trauma. And so um, I have always felt depressed. Most of the time, it's manageable. Um, but you know, I think that there was kind of like, um, a storm of events. Like I wasn't really connected in my spiritual practice. And then the fires happened. We lost five of our treatment center houses in, um, Malibu. Um, we had a suicide in the family in December. Um, a huge, you know, tax bill. Thank you, Donald Trump. Ugh. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> Um, you know, he totally, That's gonna be like totally the, fucked us this year. The clip soundbite, oh, by the way. Oh, <laughs> fuck. Oh, fuck. Like a huge fucking tax bill. Like, thanks, bro. Um, and... <laughs> I always, I always bitch about that. And I think it's so painful. Mm. And somebody close to me in my life always reminds me, well, the alternative is not making any money. I know. I'm like, yeah, I but, know. <laughs> but, no, but here's the thing. Like, I don't mind. And, oh, we don't have to talk about politics, <laughs> but I don't mind paying 50% in taxes, which is about what we pay. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think, and I hate even talking about money because it's so gross. <laughs> um, we, you know, in California, you know, if we were living in the Midwest, we <laughs> Yeah, we'd be doing great. Yeah, like, <laughs> rolling in it. Um, but but we live in California, right? And the cost of living is really high. My husband's Canadian. He has no four hundred one k. He has no IRS. So we're, you know what I mean? Like we're we have two kids. It's 
life is expensive. I don't mind paying taxes. Um, I just wish that the people in the one percent, the one percent above me, like actually paid taxes. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like if they were paying. Well, I don't you know, know about I mean? that because. Again, I hate talking about money, too. I think it's so icky. But I would think my husband is like the 1% or the 1% mm-hmm. of the 1%. And he pays a shitload in taxes. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I just think about, like, I just read in this headline, that Amazon made, like, X billion amount of dollars and paid, like, no taxes this year. Oh, and I'm like, uh, you know what, like, how how are these, and, and my grandpa. Well, also, our president doesn't I pay doesn't taxes. pay taxes. So. so there are these loopholes. So there are the good people like you and your <laughs> husband who, like, actually um, pay the IRS. And then there's people who, like, find every loophole possible mm-hmm. because they can and they they use that loophole. So... You know, I don't know. I just, um, it wasn't, it was like a number of things that started to, that were happening all at once. And then I kind of slipped into this and I was starting the podcast and all of this stuff was going on. And then I slipped into like a pretty deep depression, like where I started having suicidal thoughts and I'm not sleeping and I can't function and I can literally feel like it's like a weight, like a hundred pounds is sitting on the top of my head. And it just, it's very, it it's very physical for me. Um, you know, so I know the solution. So I dive into Reiki and meditation and yoga and healing. And like I said, I'm doing that. TMS that transcranial magnetic simulation now and mm-hmm. you know is it helping um yeah it's kind of too early to tell but I mean I'm here so that's pretty great yeah you are <laughs> <laughs> okay guys now that I'm actually recording this ending I feel kind of guilty about cutting the interview off there but it just kind of felt like a good halfway point and we'll pick it back up next week. Thank you as always for tuning in. Please rate, review, share, spread the word, do all the things. It really helps me to be able to keep doing this and I really, really appreciate you guys. All right, I will talk to you next week.